0: This podcast is a product of the Fourth and Inches Network, a podcast network designed to keep Husky fans up to date on their favorite programs around UW.
1: Enjoy the show and go, dogs. Go, dogs. Go, dogs.
2: Hello, and welcome back to the premiere episode of the dog and duck show my name is warren maynard with me as always is my co-host Mark Schmoor, and we are in eugene it is the day before game time we've got a couple of special guests another dog another duck on the show with us today but mark how are you doing my friend i could not be more excited to be surrounded by multiple
3: dogs multiple ducks getting ready for uh, the game of the year for Oregon until next week
2: until next week. All right. So let's take a moment to introduce our two additional co-hosts. We have, we have piled into a house just outside of Odson stadium for the weekend. We're going to be recording a podcast today on Friday. Maybe if all of us are, sober and of right mind recording another podcast on saturday night after the game but with us right now we've got another dog a a former guest on the show jake holderman jake as a a fellow dog how are you doing how are you feeling right now uh
0: first of all guys thanks so much for for uh making this possible this is just, I'm super excited. It's great to be here. Uh, I'm, I'm am I'm a little nervous, of course, right? Um, but, but I'm looking forward to it. I feel like we're playing the role of spoiler right now. So
3: nervous about the game or nervous about being on the pod?
0: Yeah, uh, well, a little bit of both. Like, yeah. I, I think more of the game, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to, to go into Austin tomorrow. Uh, begrudgingly, I think the best venue in the Pac-12, and so nothing would please me more than to knock off Oregon in their home. And have uh, 50,000 fans go home dejected tomorrow night. So, mm.
2: amen and amen. And with us also is another duck, Andrew Gedman. Andrew, how are you feeling right now?
1: Uh, after hearing Jake, a little angry, <laughs> a little annoyed, uh, I, I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling nervous because the thing that the Huskies do well is a thing that the Ducks haven't done well, mm. which is that pass game. So, it's going to be, it'll be key. It'll be really interesting tomorrow to see how that plays
2: out. So for those of you who are listening online, just imagine we're in an Airbnb living room. We have uh, started the morning by eating breakfast burritos and debating uh, who are trying to come up with the list of the top 10 rushing NFL quarterbacks of all time, debating throughout everything that we've uh, discussed. And we're going to discuss on the show. Now we're we're coming together for this podcast. We're gonna talk about the dogs and the ducks. We're gonna argue about some stuff. We're gonna debate some stuff, but we are ready for this game at Autzen Stadium, 4 p.m. Saturday on Fox. It is game time. This is the dog and duck show. Let's get into it. So, Mark, uh, I gotta tell you, we I think we're all pretty much fans of John Wilner. We we like what he puts out, we like the way that he he helps represent the Pac-12, but sometimes John just puts out pure cockamamie nonsense. Nonsense. <laughs> and the one that that he t- you know brought out a couple days ago was about the fiercest rivalry in the Pac-12. And if you had asked me to to, to list like the top ten fiercest rival- rivalries in the Pac-12, what John Wilner pulled out of his butt would not have come under my my top ten list. Which is he said that the the fiercest rivalry in the Pac- Pac-12 is not Oregon versus Washington it's not Washington versus Washington State or Oregon versus Oregon State he says that the fiercest rivalry in the Pac-12 is the Arizona Wildcats versus the ASU Sun Devils what is he smoking i
3: yeah, he must be looking at the fact that the winner of that game, it usually clinches bull eligibility. So it's like, hey, you know, there is nothing fiercer than two five and six teams battling it out for uh, no, it was a totally ridiculous take. Uh, I have no idea what Wilner's thinking. I've never lived in Arizona, so I feel very qualified to make this statement. like the, yeah, the the hatred between those two schools does not resonate on a scale beyond the state of Arizona, whereas, you know both Oregon and Washington have a a unique and meaningful rivalry with the schools in their own state and also like utter detest utterly detest one another in this intrastate rivalry that just feels feels several times deeper than you know the rivalry the Ducks have with the Beavers and, and the Huskies have with the Cougars so i have no idea what wilner is is talking about
1: i think right now there's a greater greater rivalry between the Stanford students and the administration at Stanford <laughs> than there is between the two Arizona. It's yeah. uh, I agree with you. Ridiculous.
2: Yeah. So Jake, if you if you were to pull a hundred Pac Twelve fans across the West Coast, how many people would you think would say that Arizona, Arizona State is the fiercest rivalry in the Pac twelve?
0: Uh I can't imagine any would. Two, I mean two out of twelve. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> two out of twelve. <laughs> they don't even feel that. That fill their stadiums i mean those are two of the lamest environments maybe colorado would be worse but uh i mean those games are like mark said they almost like the highest thing on the line is bowl eligibility neither of those teams has been relevant uh in the conference little in the national conversation um so yeah i'm sorry i know we're biased like we live this out we feel it right i'm a dog fan who lives in in duck country um and so i i feel this very acutely uh i have great animosity for the ducks. Um, and I just, I can't, uh, those are not rabid fan bases. They're not good teams. They're not good programs. Uh, so I think, yeah, that just felt like Wilner was doing a troll job on, and he mentions that this week. Yeah. Uh, we kind of felt like he was trying to poke the bear a little bit there. So no
2: doubt, no doubt.
3: I do think when, when, uh, Arizona state had Todd Graham and Arizona had Mike Stoops, they were as unlikable as any teams (laughs) in the country. So maybe there was just like this sense that like, they're just the two most unlikable teams. Therefore it's the fiercest rivalry because they're just worth the testing. But I think Arizona fans didn't like Mike Stoops and Arizona state fans didn't like Todd Graham. They play for the territorial cup, which went missing for several decades because it was lost in a church basement somewhere. How can the greatest rivalry in the world or the greatest rivalry on the West coast be a rivalry where they misplaced the trophy for several decades. Like, that doesn't happen, you know, whatever the, they play for in the Holy War between mm-hmm. BYU and Utah, that wouldn't just be set aside in a church basement somewhere right. for 60 years. Like no, so Yeah,
2: you can't imagine the Apple Cup just sitting in some synagogue somewhere in Pullman. Like, it just, it doesn't, that doesn't resonate. So, you know, I think for me growing up, obviously the Apple Cup was huge. There were, There were a lot of house-divided, Uh, You know, living in Seattle where husband was a dog, wife was a cougar. So there was a lot of fierce rivalry there. There were some great games growing up. For me, Jake, it was actually Washington's hatred towards the USC Trojans because at that time, Washington and USC were really the powers in the Pac-12. But all of that changed, of course, with Kenny Wheaton and the pick and Mr. Shoe Dog himself taking over the program, and without a doubt in my mind, clearly, clearly the penultimate rivalry in the Pac-12 right now is Washington versus Oregon. And so, you know, with that in mind, we saw this. We saw a couple of different guys. I think uh, Dick Fane maybe and uh, someone else put out this week, who would you rather win if you're a Husky fan? Who would you rather beat this season? Would you rather beat Oregon? or Washington state. If you could only pick one of those two, the, the numbers were, were obvious. 80 something percent of all Husky fans want to beat Oregon. They would rather beat Oregon and lose to Washington state for the second year in a row in the apple cup, than lose another game to Oregon and watch Oregon walk away with the PAC 12 championship again this year. So I flipped this question around to you guys to, to Mark, into to Andrew last night when we were discussing a little bit about this. So if Oregon fans had to choose between only getting a victory over Washington or Oregon state this year, which one would you choose? Because right now as Oregon fans, you guys are presuming that you're going to win both of those games. Like you're expecting to win against Washington this weekend You're expecting to beat Oregon State. So, really, it's like, which one is the least painful loss for you guys is to lose to Washington this year or lose to Oregon State at the end of the season?
1: I I went with Washington, but I tend to look at it. Washington's the better team between Washington and Oregon State. So, if you're going to lose, lose to the better team. Don't don't go and lay in a – I mean, we've seen this – happen to the Oregon program where highly ranked doing really well and then they go into Arizona they go they go into a stadium and just lose so I, it kills me to say it, but I'd rather lose to Washington. And this is where we disagree correct
3: and part of the reason why we disagree might be that I live in the Seattle area and you live in in Southern Oregon. safe Southern Oregon. You've got a lot more Beaver fans in your purview. I have a lot more Husky fans. The idea of listening to Husky fans talk smack about beating this Oregon team this year under these circumstances, I shudder at the thought of having to listen uh, even to the two Husky fans sitting to my left right now for the next year. So uh, I would 100% take a win over Washington and a loss to the Beavers. Than the other way around. I also have a mom that grew up in Corvallis and grandparents that you know were avid Oregon State supporters. So I have a little bit of my heart kind of aligned with with the Beavers, whereas there is nothing in me aligned with the Huskies.
2: So Andrew's making a decision from the head. You're making a decision from the heart. Hey, both are valid. We're we're we are college football fans, and head and heart don't always have to align. So totally, totally get that. So Mark, a few weeks ago, we recorded a podcast. And uh, you know, a lot of times we record the podcast. After I get done recording it, I try to come up with a title for the the podcast. And one that I one that I titled uh, Penix, Nix, and DTR has been one of the most highly listened to podcasts that we've had in the history of the Dog and Duck Show. I think we're bumping up on close to a thousand listens on that particular podcast. And it really spurred for me. Uh, the, the question of what was it about that title that caught people's attention? And I think it's this idea of debating who the better player is. So let's talk about that for real in earnest now as we go into this game tomorrow. You've got Bo Nix, who is making a push to get into the Heisman conversation. Many of the projections have him now in the top five or six. You've got Michael Penix, who's one of the leading passers in the country, who has totally, you know, revolutionized this Washington offense from a y- the year previous with John Donovan. So let's let's hash this out a little bit. Who is the superior quarterback in the Pac-12 right now? Or let's just say between these two, there's a lot of great quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Let's narrow it down. Who would you rather have, Knicks or Penix, going into the game tomorrow? I-
3: I don't see any way how an Oregon fan
2: can't roll with Bo Nix
3: at this point. Like there were all kinds of reasons why we were skeptical going into the year, maybe even through the first month of the season. Uh, But he has played so well. I think he's been packed 12 offensive player of the week for the last three weeks in a row. He's a, uh, he doesn't throw for as many yards as Penix because they just don't pass the ball as often, but he's a much more of a running threat. Uh, and I just, I think, uh, if the ducks keep winning, I think he's the Pac-12 player of the year. I think he could potentially go down in history if they keep winning, you know, as one of the all-time great duck quarterbacks, you know, if not at the level of Mariota, certainly at the level of like, uh, Joey Harrington or Justin Herbert or Akili Smith. Uh, so, I think it's Knicks, and that's no disrespect to Penix, who's completely transformed the Washington offense. But, uh, but my vote would be for Knicks.
0: Can I throw a question at you? So I'm you interested. Just... Uh, your guys, have, ever since the Cougar game, Oregon's followed a pretty typical script. Uh, the offense has scored over 40 points a game. The defense has played really well for three quarters, and then you bring in your your reserves and the you know, sometimes uh, garbage time ends up uh, making it appear closer. Is there any part of you that wonders, can Bo Nix, if if somehow the Huskies can jump out to a lead, right, maybe get a turnover, maybe kind of do an onside kick thing like you guys did against UCLA, uh, if the Huskies can get out to a lead and Bo Nix isn't comfortably out in front and has to, like, have some pressure put on him, not just literally by the Husky defensive line, but pressure of the situation in the moment where they got to come back
3: any party I'll worry that that Knicks isn't up to the challenge? I think that was my number one concern um, coming into the year, mm. and I think that was answered like, uh, against Washington State, which was the first you know real conference road game that they had. They were down multiple scores at multiple times in that game, and there was a point in the fourth quarter where they basically needed a score, a stop, and a score in the final five minutes of the game in order to pull that game out and Nick's drove them right to, and that's Washington State I think is in the conversation for the best defenses in the Pac-12. Like that was a that's a good defense and Nick's led them down the field and scored. Defense gets a three and out. Nick's leads them down for the score, you know, and then the defense ices the game with a pick-six. To me, now that's the only time he's had to do that and doing it once is different than doing it multiple times. But we've we've at least seen him in a hostile environment against a good defense come through under that that scenario so yeah if it's if it's Oregon taking the field down four with two and a half minutes to go my mentality is going to be you know even if Bo is throwing a couple picks at that point in the game like my mentality is going to be this guy is is capable of doing
2: this yeah well that sets up a question that I was actually going to ask in a couple minutes so to kind of set that up and Jake I'm going to throw this back to you in just a second Let's talk about Penix for just a minute. This is a guy that in his first eight games as a Husky quarterback, he threw for over 300 yards in every game. No other Husky quarterback in the history of Husky football has ever done that. His ninth game, he threw for 297 yards. So uh, he is leading the nation in passing yards. He's on pace to finish this season, probably battling Cody Pickett for most passing yards in a season. And probably a little bit behind Jacob uh, uh, Browning for mo- Jake Browning for for most passing touchdowns in the season, but arguably a top three Husky quarterback season of all time. It's so Oregon like to have a quarter quarterback right down the road having a career year at the same time as uh, you know a Husky quarterback having one of the best seasons in Husky quarterback history, but. To that, that question that you threw to Mark, Jake, if you had to choose based on what you've seen from these guys, both during this year and from what you've seen in their previous stints with Auburn for Bo Nicks and Indiana for Michael Penix, who is the guy that you want to take the field with two minutes left in the game in the fourth quarter, needing a, a touchdown to win the game? Are you gonna are you gonna pull on uh, the the Bo Nix string or the Michael Penix Jr. string?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I I gotta go with Penix, and that's not a slight to Bo Nix, but I I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, will the real Bo Nix please stand up? And unfortunately, this might be the real Bo Nix, and he's had a fantastic year. Um, And so I. I can't knock his performance at Oregon because he's been really, really good. Um, but I, I, I'm just hoping that Michael Penix can pull out a little Indiana-Penn State magic-type moment. Uh, he, you know, engineered the comeback, uh, not comeback, but the, what resulted in the, the game-winning drive and field goal uh, last week against Oregon State against another one, that, like Mark said. The Cougs have a great defense. The Beavs have a great defense. And uh, they converted multiple third and longs on that drive. They were aided by a, apparently, apparently what Mark deemed was a questionable pass interference call. <laughs> totally uh, seemed, seemed very uh, legitimate to me. But uh, I got a lot of belief if, uh, if we are in a situation where you know we're on our own goal line, if we have the ball, mm-hmm. period, with two minutes to go, needing a touchdown to score, uh, I would be thrilled. Uh, at that situation, um, and I I have total faith that Michael Penix is going to get us down yeah. into the, a goal-to-go situation. I worry about actually being able to punch it in, but, uh, yeah, I have a, I have a lot of faith in Penix.
3: I think that's an interesting dynamic of this year's game. You know, if we had asked this question a couple of years ago, the last time both these teams were ranked, 2019, when it was Jacob Eason versus Justin Herbert, I think we talked about this question yeah, before the game, did. And we both wanted to be the team on defense yeah. protecting a lead rather than expecting our quarterback to drive at 80 or 90 yards. And I do think this year, neither of us feel great about being the team on the, on the defensive end in that equation. So that, that's interesting that that has, has shifted yeah. for both programs.
2: So let's, let's uh, keep this going with this theme, Andrew. So uh, if, if a quarterback is absolutely critical in those final minutes. So also is the head coach time management experience, knowing how to get your your players into the right position to win the the, the, the game at the end of the, the game. If you have to pick between uh, Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer with two, three minutes left in the game, what are you, who are you going to say is the, the superior, you know, fourth quarter, Coach. Yeah, so
1: I'm going to cheat a little bit, right? Okay. Because I I think as a duck you're going to say Lanning and that'll be it. But Oregon on offense with Lanning Dilly Dilly that that is a far better in my mind a far better situation for the Oregon Ducks. Like I feel really good about it, mainly because Dilly seems to have taken what Bo Nix does well, which is solid passer, solid passer. Not great, not terrible. Solid passer. But, man, he's really taken those legs, and he's allowed Bo Nix kind of unleashed him. Um, And it's tricky, too, because he doesn't look like much. It doesn't really seem that. But he seems to really see the field better than anybody else, and he's Mm -hmm. making good decisions there. So I kind of punt on it a little bit because I think the duo right there, it's such a good symbiotic. The the duo
2: of Dillingham and Nix.
1: Correct. Okay. Uh, Dillingham and Nix. Um, and landings there, obviously, th- th- we talked about it last night. Right. Head coach is a head coach, right? Right. But that that relationship just seems to be really in sync right now. Yeah. And it's something that yeah. I haven't seen since the Chip Kelly run. I, it it or just, the, or the Helfrich, Mariota, yeah. correct?
2: I think we're all in agreement that Oregon has been a juggernaut on offense since the the Georgia game. That's not in debate. But with the game on the line, at the end of the fourth quarter, which coach do you trust more right now?
1: I'm saying Lanny, and and, and really, I, I hate to to kind of echo the same thing that Mark said, but that Washington State game where okay, let's not get flustered. We got to get this done, and they do, and they dial it up. I really I really like that.
3: I I just want to add something, and this is taking it in a little different direction, but I think it's relevant. Lanning has really emphasized we've talked about this on the pod before you know dominating the middle eight the last four minutes of the second quarter first four minutes and so second. has Kalen DeBoer. And, and so it's. Kalen- I've
2: never heard the middle eight until Kalen DeBoer started yeah. talking about it
3: yeah and and both those guys have emphasized it I looked this up I think
1: Lanning got it from DeBoer yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: well if he got it he yeah. is he is he is uh followed the instructions yeah.
1: very well He's using so, the ring against him.
3: Yeah, in, in the last six games for Oregon, so this is not including the Eastern Washington game, but the six yeah. games against real opponents. So that's 56 minutes of game action, mm. a little less than a full game. Oregon has outscored their opponents 79 to 16 in the middle in the middle. A, yeah. And what that usually implies is that they are milking the clock for all it's worth at the end of the first half. And I cannot tell you how many times Oregon has scored with like 27 seconds to play in the first half. And then they're either getting the ball because they deferred or they're getting a quick stop on the other side of halftime and then adding another score to really take control. The only reason I bring that up in the context of your question is I think Oregon in terms of a time management, preserving timeouts, knowing what the situation they are, knowing that they'd rather take four minutes to score than two minutes, stuff like that. They really have that down in a way that I have not seen an Oregon team. Certainly a Mario Cristobal team never really functioned well in that regard as far as. So that's a little bit different scenario. Like it's maybe easier to do that at the end of the first half than at the end of the fourth quarter. But I do think they have really drilled that in of like it's not just, say, going down the field and scoring, but it's being aware of how much time is at play. And how much time we want to give the ball back to the to the defense and things like that. And so I do think that that is a credit to Lanning and the coaching staff that they really, really have a sound game plan for how to take advantage of those situations. I have yet to find a situation this year where I'm like, how is the coaching staff mismanaging this very basic mm-hmm. scenario as mm-hmm. far as you know time of game and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, I think for me and this, we go back and forth on these kind of things. This is the dog and duck show. But this is where I have to call a little bit of BS on this because okay. I think if anybody is really going to be, uh, you know, take off the, the puke colored green co- glasses and look <laughs> at this with, with a little bit of rationality. This is Dan Lanning's first year as a head coach. Kalen DeBoer has done it at every level. And he has a track record of winning games in the fourth mm-hmm. quarter. If anybody is going to just legitimately say that Dan Lanning is better prepared for a fourth quarter uh, two-minute drive than Kalen DeVore, you know, there's there's got to be some level of intense bias going on. To, the fa- The failure to acknowledge that well- is – or stunning. I just go back to
3: 2018, at Austin Stadium, top 10 Washington team coached by Chris Peterson, who at the time I considered one of like the three greatest coaches in right. the game against Mario Cristobal in his first year at Oregon after a failed stint at Florida International, and Chris Peterson totally mismanaged the end of that game. If you remember with, with you know, know um and that's why it went to overtime is because Chris Peterson handled the last 2 minutes of that game. Like, he didn't know what he was doing. So the idea that, like, that, that just because a coach has a ton of games means right. that they... Like, Andy Reid has coached more games than just about any coach in NFL history and is terrible managing the last two minutes of a game. Like, he has the worst sense of time management of, of any coach in NFL history, and he's probably going to be in the Hall of Fame. So the idea that just because you've coached a ton of games means that you have that part of of the coaching dynamic down, I think... How you manage clock and game situation is this incredibly precise subset of coaching. I'm not saying Kalen DeBoer doesn't have it. I'm saying there are a lot of very inexperienced coaches who are successful in every other realm of coaching that don't have that. And every indication we have from the very small sample size with Dan Lanning is that that is one element that he really does have a good sense of. I could be proven wrong, on saturday but i don't buy the fact that just because this coach has won a ton of games means that the time management thing he has solved because we have so much evidence that the coach just really struggled with that even very good coaches
2: i mean that's a fair point and any coach can make a bad call at any time that that's not really the point it's not and really if this game plays out where dan lanning is able to negotiate that scenario it still doesn't necessarily validate the point. It just, you know, that day he made the right decisions. But I think from a pure, purely logical standpoint, we have a long track record of Kalen DeBoer having been in these situations and having brought teams back to win in the fourth quarter. So to blindly say, well, I'm going to take the guy with no experience over the guy with decades of experience come on
1: here here's uh, the deal I, do you take michael jordan as a rookie with no experience he's got no experience guys no experience i'm, I'm, distancing, kermit,
3: I'm distancing myself uh, from any comparison so yeah, uh, uh,
1: or kermit washington <laughs> experience alone my, my point is experience alone is jack crap like let, let's look at this. Is what's called the false equivalency. <laughs> well, and and this never So you're talking about what Sioux Falls University of Sioux Falls. I'm hey, supposed to put hey, a ton man. of credit into the universe, Sue so I had to look that up. No, I don't, I, I mean, I don't sorry, agree say, with this take. I, I so, think
0: winning so, is winning. Right, you, these smaller schools, uh, the, the coaches have not done well when they've gone to
3: Kansas State. He's working Kansas. with the same number of timeouts. Like I think, I think, they, I think, I. I don't have any question about Caitlin DeBoer's resume or anything like that. I all I'm suggesting is winning games does not equate to mastery of the clock.
0: But I wanted so. First of all, my fear is that the Dan Lanning era feels eerily reminiscent to the Chip Kelly era. Both had losses, devastating losses. Mm. Their first game of the year, right? Boise State, the Lagaret Blunt punch incident, and I remember thinking, this is fantastic. The wheels have come off. Yeah. They're lost. Doesn't, without know, what Doesn't yeah. know what he's doing, right? And obviously, Chip Kelly is the most successful Oregon coach in recent memory. Uh, and then, you know, at Georgia, watching that debacle, I was just thrilled to see. And the way Lanning has been able to keep to that team back. together, yeah. bounce back, actually make them like it was everybody was dismissing Oregon. As, there is no way they will yeah. be back in the, in the playoff. And now that is, I mean, if Oregon wins out, they probably are. Mm-hmm. And that hat tip to Lanning, um, he's done nothing to indicate that he could not handle that situation. Okay. At the same time, I look at the and Peterson, like we, we mentioned the end of the Oregon game, the Arizona game where he had referred to the chart said that we're going to continue to run the ball rather than taking a knee and we right. end up losing that game right. down in Tucson like, uh, going for a fourth down to get Stanford instead of punting. Like there was just some Peterson had these weird yeah, baffling. And, yes. Baffling decisions. Yeah. Uh, and DeBoer has not done that. Like he takes a Fresno team led by a former Husky quarterback who had never seen the field into Austin, nearly beats them last year, leads that same Fresno state team into UCLA and beats them with a, an amazing, you know, 59 second drive to score a touchdown. Um, I think if if you just compare them, you gotta lean towards DeBoer, uh, but that's not saying that Lanning has done anything to prove yeah. that he's not effective in those situations. Um, but I think if if your your house is on the line, right, your kids are on the line, yeah. uh, you gotta go with the guy that's got more experience.
2: So so Mark Andrew, let let me tell a quick story and then I've got a question for you. Okay, so when when I was a young dad, I picked up my daughter from preschool, and somehow we got on this question, and I said. I said, who's the smartest kid in your class? And she said, I am. I said, who's who's the prettiest person in, in the class? She said, I am. She, I, I said, who is the fastest runner in your class? She said, I am. So I walked away from that conversation going, wow, she's got a lot of self-confidence, but not a lot of awareness. <laughs> and so I hear you guys saying, we've got the best quarterback, We've got the best coach. We're best prepared for the fourth quarter. So you guys must have absolutely zero anxiety going into tomorrow's game. On a level of 1 to 10, what is your anxiety with 1 being like it's we're cruising and 10 being like, oh, man, this is a trap game and we're done?
3: No, my anxiety, Warren, is still at like a level 9. So, like, I and the reason is this, is one – um, First of all, just because I think Oregon is rightfully favored and is the better team doesn't mean they're going to win the game. Uh, we see that in college football all the time. Oregon has beaten Washington when Washington was the better team. They've even beaten them at Husky Stadium when Washington was the better team. So so just to say that, you know, I think Oregon's better or I think Mix is having a slightly better year than Penix, like it doesn't mean I don't think Washington yeah. could win. They still have a prolific quarterback. They still have the best receiving core in the conference. And I think most importantly, Oregon's defense, and this is the one thing that I would say about Lanning that maybe isn't as complimentary is Oregon's defense has been improving, but not the kind of shutdown defense that I think if you said, we're getting a defensive coordinator from Georgia who had a hand in helping to build, you know, one of the great defenses of all time, granted under Kirby smart, but like, it just as like Kirby was kind of bringing that Saban philosophy to mm-hmm. Georgia. I think Oregon fans were hoping and they're still hoping that Dan Lanning is bringing a Georgia type defense to Oregon. That remains to be seen if that can happen over time. But with this roster and the talent on this roster, I think we're all still kind of waiting for the Oregon defense to put together that like masterpiece of the game. The mm-hmm. offense has been putting together masterpiece after masterpiece after masterpiece. The defense has not. And against the, a Husky team that is very explosive, you know, it wouldn't take much for us to be looking up in the fourth quarter and it's 42 to 28 and Oregon's in a hole because the defense just has not been able to, to get a handle on how to slow down the offense. So I can see that yeah. part objectively and to say, there is a roadmap, you know, for Oregon to, to lose this game. Uh, I'm just enthusiastic about you know how Lanning has has changed the culture and specifically about how they've they've taken care of, of some of those other elements. But I there's so Andrew definitely- so
2: are are you in a similar place where you believe that Oregon is superior in every way and yet your anxiety levels at a nine? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, well I I think that's you're you're setting up a little uh, pro- y- your error is wrong in that you can think Kaylin DeBoer. Is a extremely good coach, right? But then you say, okay, well, I've seen what Oregon's done now these eight games. I've seen his history there, and again, not putting a lot of faith into Sioux Falls. You are, God bless you. Uh, (laughs) I I don't really care. The the other thing about it too is is said by the guy whose brother coaches a dominant dynasty in the two (laughs) A I. but but that the reality is yeah it's gonna it's gonna be harder I think um so I'd say it's more like a 51 okay. 49 um, split not a like 90 10 you know Agreed, if you say, agree if you said hey you know you have to choose from these five coaches yeah. De probably number two right okay. now, honestly and and that's just how it goes it's like gee you see how yeah bad washington i was at that game last year how mismanaged that yep. game was yeah. oregon really uh, did not do well in that game mm. and washington did everything they could to give oregon the game
2: including
1: a fourth down safety punt yeah. out of the end zone. speaking
2: so, of baffling yeah exactly. so, so, was- so jake let me let me turn it over to jake yeah. so, so jake the question for husky fans right now is not about anxiety okay like, you know, our mutual friend who will probably be on the podcast on Saturday, J.J. Vansel, his perspective is basically, let's just assume that we're going to get slaughtered by Oregon. And if we're surprised, then, right. you know, we're, we're off. So let me turn it around for you, Jake, and say, on a scale of one to 10, how hopeful are you? Ooh. Okay, so one, we have no hope. Yeah. 10, I feel very good about our chances of being able to upset Oregon at home. Uh, and and you know really break this yeah. this streak that they've had on us recently i'd say a three or a four uh because we have
0: not a an inferior uh or husky team has not beat a favored organ team in my lifetime like that's just it uh i mean going back 20 years here right so when when we won the 70 to 21 game we were a playoff team you guys weren't even bowl eligible like the the games that we've won have been bad Oregon team where they're firing their coach or they got yeah. Slick Willie Taggart or whatever and yeah, Bur- Braxton Burmeister yeah, and we, <laughs> yeah. we've got Chris Peterson All the hope with, in the world. with Jake Browning and you know like John we Ross yeah, like we got yeah. we got first round top ten draft picks like and a death row defense like we yeah. were the better team and we beat a bad organ team right so we're I think we're a good team um we're we're not an elite team which unfortunately was evidenced by that arizona state game um but i just i think the ways that oregon can win this game are abundant the ways that washington can win this game are are very narrow Mm. and so i i mean this is at aughtson the huskies are a different team on the road yeah um i i of course i'm hopeful right i'm here right right but i i just to me the the path to a victory feels like It, the Huskies got to play a darn near perfect game and the Ducks don't like they've got a lot of other advantages. They, it's not, Knicks doesn't have to throw for 300 yards, right? Yeah. Knick, they don't have to rush for 300 yards. Like, I mean, they rush how much did they rush for last year in the game? Like nearly 300, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and couldn't throw the ball, yeah. but they were able to to, to sneak out the victory um, because, uh, for uh, it was such yeah. a terrible team. But uh, yeah, I, i am not holding out mm-hmm. a lot of hope yeah. but there's still i mean it's we got a puncher's chance right sure, it, sure. you get we've been terrible with getting turnovers mm-hmm. but if we could sneak a couple turnovers if the ducks can get tight and i think it's just yeah. like a, a march madness game you've got to create that question in the crowd mm-hmm. you've got to turn off stadium mm-hmm. and make them start going yeah. oh my goodness is this going to happen and we know the power of belief right and if the huskies can get that on their side, mm-hmm. then it it's only gonna grow. But
1: uh, it, I think it's gonna be a taller. Whoever well, has yeah. the ball at the end, if it's if it's a one-score game, mm-hmm. whichever team has the ball, you're you have to feel good about it. Mm-hmm. I would much rather have the ball than be on defense. Agreed. Right at the end with of the, the with these
2: two teams, yeah. they're both uh-huh. comprehensive yeah. teams. so uh-huh. Mark, you know, you're the chief historian and researcher in this, you know, there's expression that's used often in sports, can history repeat itself? Mark, what is the history of ranked Washington teams be- beating higher-ranked Oregon teams in Austin Stadium? And, you know, to be fair, this is – there's not a lot of history to pull on.
3: I was going to say, there, there is no history of that one. Yeah. There's
2: <laughs> no history of that. So, there, so, 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 making, history. so, to our listening audience, just to make this – to nail this down, there is, there is no record – of a ranked Washington team going in to play against a higher ranked Oregon team in Austin stadium and winning the game. Not not only that there, there have been, um,
3: there have been six times in the history of this rivalry and they've all been it, you know, within the last 20 years, I would say, there've been six times when both teams were ranked in the top 25 and Oregon has won all six of those games. Uh, and that's both in Eugene and in, in Seattle combined so as far as the ranked versus ranked that set has been in Oregon's favor it makes me very nervous to say that in a recording because I do feel like that's just at bad. some point yeah bad, it's, bad, it's bad midnight, yeah. Um, but then I, I went I went back to find out well when was the last time Washington beat a ranked Oregon team of any kind hmm. you have to go back to 1970 Halloween day 1970 that was an unranked Washington they upset Oregon who was somehow ranked in the top 20 in 1970, I'm not sure how that happened. That's the last time the Huskies beat a ranked Oregon team of any kind. If you want them to see a, a ranked, in off- Stadium? No, that was in Seattle. Oh. To see oh. it in Austin Stadium, you'd have to go back to 1959, a game we all remember. Mm-hmm. 13 to 12, <laughs> Huskies prevailed over a ranked Oregon team. That was when both uh, teams were in the uh, Athletic Association of Western Universities, oh, precursor yeah. to the Pac-8. Oh. Um, <laughs> That was before Autzen Stadium even opened, so that game was at Hayward Field. Yeah. So, yeah, Washington yeah. beating this Oregon team would be unprecedented. It would be making his- history. In really, the history yeah. of this, right. It
2: would be making history, and so, obviously, I think for that, for that reason – jake you and i our hope level has to be on the low end yeah because i'm challenging you guys this is where i'm calling bs on you warren because
3: i look at all those numbers and it makes me incredibly nervous as an oregon fan because i'm like like washington as you pointed out repeatedly has been like the better program historically than oregon and then oregon took the mail in the last 30 years or so uh but so the fact that Oregon has had this run of success against Washington that every time both teams have been somewhat good Oregon's had the upper hand to me it's only just a matter of time and if not now when you have this super experienced coach which you're all mm. you're so high on and this quarterback who's you know going to set school records in terms of his passing yardage and Oregon has this first year coach who hasn't been in a whole lot of these environments i would say that's all a reason to go into Autson and feel like we're going to pull the upset this team is due it's really hard to go undefeated through a Pac-12 slate they haven't really played that many challenging games in conference they almost lost to the Cougars who are an average team at best you know they they pulled away from UCLA because they managed to recover an onside kick and they forced a few field goals when Chip Kelly probably should have gone for it Mm -hmm. like if I'm a Washington fan I'd be talking myself into no we're we're going to end this like we're we're going to take the momentum. So I think the fact that you guys are all kind of licking your wounds <laughs> and like talking yourself into oh we just want to see a competitive game. Blah, blah, blah. I think that's terrible. Like why show up to the stadium
0: then so, like says the guy who's had the dominant run and hasn't had to do this. Like <laughs> you don't have to guard your heart, right? <laughs> right.
1: It's, right. It's a disappointment.
3: Let me tell you this. Let me let me tell you this. Okay. Uh I was at the 70 to 21 game. Okay, and that that, yeah. that was Mark Helfrich's last year. That was Justin Herbert's first start. Yeah, I had tickets to that game, uh, and I was going with my wife. It was the first game I was taking her to at Austin Stadium. And we got over. We were living in Bend, Oregon. We got 20 minutes outside of Eugene, and I realized that I left the tickets on my dresser oh, back that. in Bend mm-hmm. and said a word that I will not repeat here on the podcast, pulled over to the side of the road, had to collect myself. Steph is like, what do you want to do? And I knew, I knew Washington is better this year. Washington Mm. is one of the best teams in the country. Oregon does not have it. We're starting a freshman quarterback. And so I was honestly thinking we should just go to a sports bar, watch the game there. Not going to take Steph to this game. I'm certainly not going to fork over $150 right now to buy tickets Mm. that I already have. Mm. And then what, you know what I said? As I said, F that, we're going to go win this game. Like if I sit in a sports bar, Oregon's going to win this game and I'm going to lose the opportunity to talk trash to all my Husky fans. So like, no, we're going to go, we're going to order the cheapest tickets we can find. We're going to drive to a a FedEx and print the tickets out. Like we're going to do what it takes to get inside the stadium because I want to be there. And when the game kicked off, I remember looking at Steph and I was like, Mm. it's going to get electric right now. Like you're going to see something. And then Justin Herbert's first pass, he's intercepted. <laughs> oh, yeah. Washington scores. Luter-Naker. Air yeah. goes out of the stadium. Yeah. The game was never close. But when the game was yeah. kicked off, I will tell you that even though Oregon was bad yeah. and Washington was really, really good, I was thinking in that moment, we're going to yeah. win this game because yeah. this is this is what we do. Like, we and- beat them 12 years in a row. We're not going to stop now.
2: That's it. Exactly. That's it. You said we beat them 12 years in a row. We're not going to stop now. You know, imagine taking those feelings that you had of coming into that game and having that same feeling twelve years in a row, and then going, "Why do I continue yes, to feel like yes. this? So this is so, the challenge that Kalen DeBoer is faced with here. It so is. He's, he's to, to bring to.
1: It's a new team.
2: It's a new team, and I love what Michael Penix. He was interviewed earlier in the in the season, and they said, "What about last year's team?" And he goes, I, "I don't know anything about last year's team. This is this year's team." So I think the players are going to have their minds right. I think yeah. the coaches are going to have their minds right. The fans, we're entitled yes. to be conflicted because no. we've yes. been we've been in it for a long time. But let's get into this game. Let's talk about some keys to the game. So if Washington is going to win, if Oregon is going to win, what's it going to take? And we've already kind of danced around this a little bit. But, uh, you know, I think to me, one of the, the key questions for this game is, can Michael Penix and this dynamic Washington passing offense take advantage of Oregon State's passing defense? Which, or, be – Oregon,
3: not Oregon State.
2: Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. There's Oregon. A difference in <laughs> yeah. yeah. We are right week, near Sioux Falls. I'm a week behind. I'm a week behind. But, but Jake, let's start with you. Yeah. Let's start with you. Like, what is your confidence level just on this one particular thread of the game? What is your confidence level that Michael Penix? can have his way with this Oregon passing defense. Yeah. Uh,
0: So I I think the Washington offense and Ryan Grubb looked like magicians and they were playing chess while everybody else was playing checkers in the first kind of quarter of the season. Mm -hmm. Um, Since then, they have come down to earth and they're a very good offense. um, But, you know, went first half without scoring a touchdown against Cal uh and only put up 28 points in that game uh were, were behind and and kind of got some garbage time points against ucla um and arizona state looked really good against arizona which also a really bad defense uh and then same in against oregon state again a good defense um but they didn't look like this you know they're they had multiple punts um field goals and it wasn't this, like, oh, my goodness, this offense just cannot be stopped. And so here we are coming into Oregon, and a lot has been made that this is the top-ranked Washington offense uh, passing, and this Oregon secondary is, is you know, bottom of the Pac-12. And so there's a, a lot that the Huskies can take advantage of. And I just think this is a case of statistics being very misleading. Um, I, I do think the Oregon secondary, they're not elite but they have played really well when it counts and a lot of those yards and points have come in garbage time against second third fourth stringers Um, so I think this narrative that the Oregon State secondary uh, is is really poor and Washington's going to exploit them uh, is not going to come to fruition I don't think that doesn't mean we won't move the ball and that we can't score but to act as though hey we're just going to this is going to be like Tucson 2.0, and we're just going to be able to move the ball up and down the field against them. I would be really surprised if that happens. Um, But I think the key for Washington is we have to, we have to maximize our offensive possessions. And that means playing aggressive on defense. Mm -hmm. That means having a never kick, never punt mentality, going for it on every fourth down and really having the, the, the mentality of, Hey, if, if Oregon scores, which they will, Mm -hmm we've got to let it's got to be quick we don't want long methodical drives where they run it down our throats where they ball control punch it in for six and then we're sitting there and we've had two offensive possessions in the first half one that ends in a touchdown one that ends in the punt or one that ends two that ended field goals like we need to maximize our possessions have as many as possible uh and so uh, if that happens then i think if we can put some pressure on oregon uh, my hope will obviously go up. And of course, when we walk in the, the stadium tomorrow, I'm going to be hopeful that we pull off the upset, that I finally get to see Washington defeat Oregon in person, which I have mm. never seen in my life. Mm. And so I, I, but I, I've just been burned too many times. I felt the angst. I felt the pain. I've lost too many bets. Mm. I, I want to win, but I, I can't, I, I just can't get myself to get too hopeful about this yet. Um. So. Uh, I think that's kind of the path, be aggressive, go for it. Um, but uh, I, I do think that that narrative of Washington's pass offense versus Oregon's defense is, is a
2: little bit overplayed, right? Now. So some, some heartfelt uh, admissions from a, a fellow dog. I didn't know let, you were going to cry. Let's, <laughs> let, let's ask it, Doug. Let's turn this around a little yeah. bit because you've got, you've got the, the panics, Going up against the Oregon State, or, uh, excuse me, the Oregon uh, passing defense. But now you've also got Bonix and this very dynamic rushing offense for Oregon. We know Bonix can put up 400 yards passing, but I think what is keeping the Husky coaches up at night is seeing the way that these running backs for Oregon and Knicks with his feet are just wreaking havoc on every team they they face. Statistically, Washington has one of the best running defenses in the Pac-12. Does that pose any concern to you, Andrew, at all about what Bo Nix and this rushing offense want to do for the Oregon Ducks this Saturday?
1: Absolutely. I mean, when you're looking at Washington, you're seeing guys get pressure on the edge. Which always causes problems. You got to make a decision half a second faster, a quarter second faster, and that is the difference between you know a, a completion and an interception. It, it will put um, the onus on Oregon to assert its dominance, and then that doesn't work. To figure out, okay, how are we going to adjust to it? So I'd say. Absolutely. There's talent on the D line at Washington. I mean, it seems like there's and always does that,
2: talent. does that apply to, to the running game for Oregon? Yeah, I think so. I think okay. so
1: because it, they're always there. I've said it before, it's symbiotic, but they, that relationship between the two is tighter than I've ever seen it. And it right. really is that pass setting up the run, the run, setting up the pass. The, what I like about Oregon is we have two running backs um, who really don't go down at first contact very well, and mm-hmm. that is refreshing to see. Mm-hmm. It, it's extremely nice as much as we love die and he could get out there and take it to the house, um, he'd struggle with that 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 get bouncing off first contact and then mm-hmm. bringing a play that might have been minus three to just zero. yeah, it that's gonna be a big part of the game. So yeah, it's concerning absolutely. I would say that
3: the one thing that makes me feel a little confident about that is. The Beavers in the first half really ran the ball down the Huskies' throat. Yeah. And that was with a quarterback that was a non-factor.
2: With his feet or with his arm. Yeah. And and
3: eventually, (laughs) Eventually, the Huskies tightened that up. And in the second half, outside of that one drive, uh, the Beavers really didn't move the ball at all. And and they got stuffed in short yardage on a couple of key fourth downs even in the first half. Um, But so the Huskies' defense – figured out some tweaks, but they figured out some tweaks against the Beavers' offense that couldn't really give another element other mm-hmm. than just run the ball down your throat. Right. And I was actually surprised that they were able to do it that effectively for a few drives before eventually the Huskies kind of put a stop to it. I think on the first drive of the game, if we see Irving and Whittington getting those seven, eight-yard runs, right, it's a bad sign for the Huskies. And it's going to make my anxiety level drop a bit because it's going to tell me, like, the offensive line which I think is understandably one of the best in the country, is really going to be able to control this game. I think if that first drive, if mm-hmm. the first couple times Oregon runs it into the line, the Huskies just, you know, stop it for no gain and, mm-hmm. and we're punting all of a sudden, uh, that's the type of thing that's going to send my anxiety through the roof because it's going to say, okay, they figured out yeah. something early and now it's up to us to figure out the adjustment. Because mm-hmm. I, I really do think what, like – I genuinely feel like when Oregon scores on the first drive of the game, it just kind of puts me in this zone of like mm. points are not going to be a problem today. Like they, yeah. they, they've got the upper hand. So uh, that first drive is going to be just really interesting from that perspective. Right. Yeah. And
2: Oregon state with Martinez and Fenwick, they marched down the field almost like at will for the first two or three drives in that game. So statistically Washington does have one of the better running defenses. I'm not super confident that that, means that they're going to have success slowing down this team. That's got, you know, one of the leading rushers, uh, in Irving, they've got a quarterback who leads the pac 12 in rushing touchdowns. Uh, so for me, this may be the ultimate determining factor in this game, but both of you guys alluded to the, another dynamic that I wanted to bring up and that is the, the, the Washington, uh, pass rush, Versus this really impressive Oregon offensive line. So put into context, Oregon has only given up one sack on their starting quarterback all season long. Washington, I believe, is in the top two of, of you know sacks in the Pac-12 for for teams. Braylon Trice, Jeremiah Martin, uh, Voightanupee, ZTF. These guys are putting a lot of pressure on teams. But we've seen most of their success against non-mobile quarterbacks. So, you know, just kind of open to any of you guys. What do you think? Who's going to win that battle? What's the over-under on the the Huskies getting three sacks tomorrow?
3: I don't think that's high. Uh, Just because they've only given up one all year. So to get three in one game would be tough. But I think um, Bo Nix gets rid of the ball so quickly. Mm. And so much of the Oregon offense is built on these quick reads. I remember against the UCLA game, the first play of the game, Brock Heward says, before Oregon's even stab the ball, he says, a lot of times to start the game, they like to run a screen pass to the short side of the field. And sure enough, Nick throws a screen pass to Chris Hudson. He picks up like nine yards. Mm. And I remember thinking, if Brock Heward knows the play ahead of time, like how does the UCLA defense not know the play? And or like if they know the play, how are they giving up nine yards to start the game? And it was just you know, the execution is such a high level that they'll throw these kind of predictable plays, but they're able to pick up yards with them. But what will happen is they set up the defense Correct. with these short mm-hmm. screens yeah. and, you know, keeping it in that 8 to 10-yard range. And then eventually they go for the home run ball, which Nick's mm-hmm. has been much better at than I thought he would be going into this season at hitting, you know, the 50-yard take-the-top-off-the-defense play. I think those are the ones where it's going to be, does the Washington defense have a sense of, oh, this is the time to kind of send the house because Oregon's going to take that shot? Does Knicks have the composure Mm -hmm. to either recognize it pre-snap or get the ball out quickly when it happens? Because I really think it's going to come down to there's going to be three or four critical dropbacks where that chess match is going to show up and either Oregon's going to hit the home run or Washington's gonna force a throw away and now Oregon's at third and long and it kind of changes the complexion of things. But that that's kind of my sense is it's it's not gonna be about Washington having one of these five sack games because I just yeah. don't think Oregon's offense is uh exposes themselves in, in that way because they're not a sit-in-the-pocket type of t- team But I think there's gonna be four or five plays where if Washington is able to get a real rush, it it could it could foul up. That's my sense. Anna, well, yeah,
1: I, I would say that. Washington's defensive line is probably the second best that we've seen this year.
3: So next I'd to say, Georgia,
1: next to Georgia. And oh, uh, a great yeah. yeah, I, I was <laughs> going to say it was them. And then number three would be, of course, Sioux Falls. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so, so where, where all I all go? By Cascade Christian. Followed by Cascade Christian, the 3A, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, what's really interesting about it is I think those, those, Tenths of a seconds matter. And you do have to feel pretty good when you have Trice, ZTF, Martin. Mm -hmm. Those those are good players, guys that can individually win one-on-one. I agree that Oregon's game plan is going to try to game plan that out as much as possible, but the reality is that we're going to have to make decisions slightly faster. And so I I, I do like this – if I'm looking at this, yes, statistically, Oregon's got the upper hand. But if I'm a Washington fan, I'm looking at it and saying, "Man, we don't have to get there every mm-hmm. time." You know, yeah, if we get, if we get three sacks, mm-hmm. that's that's a hell of a game, and that's telling yeah. me that we're affecting the game. Yeah. If you're getting three sacks, right, you're you're probably getting another six pressures or eight yeah. or nine pressures. That's going to make it more difficult. So yeah. I, I know again, it's hard. We're talking about yeah. a rush. Um, the the uh, rush defense, but um, I, I do think, man, that that Washington defensive line, yeah. they've got they've got players there. They've they've cleaned up though in two games this year, Stanford
0: and Arizona. They got thirteen sacks in those two games. Yeah. Outside of that, it's it's been very pedestrian. So I don't hold out a lot of hope that against the best offensive line in the conference, all of a sudden we're going to be able to have a multi sack game. That being said. I feel like college football, especially this time kind of year, mm-hmm. whenever the narrative is, it's right, it's it's this narrative about this phenomenal Oregon offensive line and watch them give up multiple sacks. This, yeah. mm-hmm. this porous Washington defense watch that never gets turnovers, watch them get multiple turnovers, you know? Right. Or whatever it is, like narratives yeah. just get flipped on their head. Like, I, I mean, I, I have gone on record as saying, I don't think there's any way Washington wins this game if it's not a shootout watch it be a 24 to 21, 24, 17 game tomorrow. And the Washington defense plays its best game of the year. Like that could right. totally right. happen. And that yeah. would surprise me, but I'd also be like, there's another example. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I think this is going to be a, an uphill battle. Um, I think kind of like you said, Mark, if Oregon could score on that first drive uh, to me, I'm looking at if we can just knock Nix down one time, just hit him once. He's only been sacked once this entire year. How does he respond? Um, cause Penix, his first sack was against UCLA. And when he looked uncomfortable, all of a sudden that game changed. And it was like, Oh, this offense has been so easy. Now it's not. If we can just cause Nix a little bit of discomfort, a little bit of, you know, that clock speeds up by a 10th of a second, like you said, Andrew, And now that that deep ball is overthrown a little bit or that, you know, he misses a pass. Now I think that that could be a recipe where, again, Oregon starts to lose belief, Washington starts to gain belief. And all of a sudden you're sitting there going, man, this duck offense isn't
2: moving the ball and this Washington defense, where did they come from? So, so let's, let's move on, but I just want to give one more question to Jake here. Um, So in, in 2020, Michael Penix is the quarterback of a surprisingly good Indiana Hoosiers under the leadership of offensive quarter coordinator Kaelin DeBoer, um, I've heard of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he also had a great stint at Su Sioux, Ball. Uh, Sioux so Did he? <laughs> yeah, but um, they they go into Ohio State. They're ranked number nine. Ohio State's ranked number three. Michael Penix Jr. has a game for the ages: 491 yards, uh, five touchdowns. They lose 42 to 35 to the Buckeyes, but everybody walks away. Very very impressed with Indiana, uh, Michael Penix and de DeBoer. If 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 Michael Penix can put together a game like that in a situation like this tomorrow, do they still lose forty two to thirty five, Jake? Mm-hmm. Or 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 with the the resources around them, mm-hmm. the Huskies come out with that kind of a win? Because it feels like to me, like you said, anything could happen. Maybe it's a, a defensive game. But I think we all kind of believe for the Huskies to win, it's got to exactly. be a shootout. Penix has got to have a Heisman kind of a game. Yeah. If he does have the Heisman game, can he still can he win it with with that type of performance?
0: Uh. I I don't know if this is exactly where you're at, but I think, yes, he can. Are uh, you saying can he win the Heisman? No. Can he win the game? Can yeah. he win the game? yeah, yeah absolutely
1: years yeah i mean yes right.
0: yes he can win the game like i think yeah. michael pennix has the capability to put this offense and this team on his shoulders and have that kind of transcendent performance for yeah. sure um i think though i'm also like i gotta I, like you said mark i gotta see it to believe it like it, it has literally never happened right so until it does why would I think that it's going to? Like that's just a, a fool's errand. So. You have you have three wide receivers
1: that are really good. I mean, Polk is is number yeah. three,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not by a mile, but yeah. he's number three and he is really, really good. Then right. you have McMillan. Then you have a doomsday. Those are that that's for me, that's my biggest concern because yeah. that does sure. that, that puts you Oregon's gotta play either nickel or dime. And then you have a couple running backs yeah. who can smack in the mouth. What you guys are averaging with your top two, something like five yards a carrier. But where I where I get
0: worried is do we have a like I think we have to be able to run the ball? We mm. can't just become one dimensional. As good as we are right. with like passing offense, if you guys know that we're passing every down, mm. I, I don't think we're gonna be able to just throw the ball all over the yard against you. Like if if okay. your pass rushers can can pin their ears back and your secondary knows it's coming, our guys aren't mm-hmm. going to be running wide open 15 yards down the field every play. So we we have not had dominant rushing performances. That's not our offense. No. Our, our our rushing uh, complements are passing, yeah. right? And if we can do that, like if we can kind of establish a ground game and, mm-hmm. and Oregon can't stop us with their front four uh, or definitely their front seven, like if they've got to commit more to the run, and that opens up the field for then uh, again that's kind of the game within the game how are these yeah. adjustments made Right. what happens um so yeah i i feel like there's we'll see does a team break yeah. tendency like do we come out and have a really creative rushing attack tomorrow
2: i don't i, know. I don't think that's going to happen and i don't think that you know the key to this game is washington being able to bust off you know runs of seven or eight yards a game right uh, a, a run but i think we absolutely have to be able to convert on third and two. Yeah. And if we get shut down constantly on third and two and we're in fourth and one, we're going to lose this game. Yeah. Uh, so Andrew, you mentioned this and I want to change the the question, the, the theme a little bit. One thing we, we bandied about before the, the show was, you know, if you could take one player from the other roster, from the other team's roster and add it to your roster, who would it be and why? So if Oregon could add any guy off of the Washington roster this year, why would you take that? Who would that be player be, and why would you take him? I would take McMillan
1: mainly because I like what he does in the slot. He, mm. he is a dynamic athlete. And so you get him in the open field and it's like, man, I want to, I want to take him. Um, he's, he's an excellent player. But he's an excellent fit in my opinion for Oregon mm-hmm. and that's so that's where i'd go um with my
2: mark what would you who would you take
1: well i think especially with do we know chase coda's status like because he might be the type of guy that would uh, fit in there that's where that you want that's where you put him if you put him in this in the slot like i said if you put him in the slot at yeah. Dakota are you kidding me that that would make Oregon's offense ridiculously
3: Uh, along the same lines i would take any of your receivers i would take it i would take jalen polk like i think any of them slot them alongside franklin and hudson and you've immediately improved oregon's receiving core um especially with codas out so uh yeah i I would would take a And,
2: and to me those feel more like luxuries like you don't really need roma dunze or mcmillan let's flip it around jake if you could take one guy out of this very talented Oregon roster, who would it be and why? Oh, it's got to be in the secondary.
0: Like, yeah. it just, it's got to be in the secondary. Because, I mean, I think, I think you were the one who said it, Warren. If, if we have Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie on this team, we're a top 10 team. We're, a – know. Yeah. So un- you'd go like Christy off. Yes. We like, yeah. if we have a corner, if we have corners that can actually, stop guys right. right and actually cover right. receivers and and kind of shut down a passing game then this team i would because right. we've got a we've got a good defensive line our linebackers yeah. are weak so my other thought was possibly noah sewell um but i i think he's he's kind of been having a little bit of an underwhelming year um so it, yeah it's definitely going to be on the defensive side of the ball like our I'm not gonna. You got a great offensive line. We got a really good offensive line. We do, yeah. So I don't think we need to make our really good uh, part of our team just a little bit better. We've got we've got a really bad secondary, and so if we take Gonzalez and and get a cornerback, I think that completely alters the the trajectory of our team.
2: Yeah, Mike Brenner from Pro Football Focus, he believes that Gonzalez will be the first cornerback taken in the draft next year. Good, so if you if you take a guy like that put him on this husky team you know especially looking back to ucla where it seemed like our defensive backs decided that they wanted to sleep in that day mike bobo Um, was just running bobo i mean you (laughs) know it's like they thought we were the husky defensive backs thought we were just playing tag yeah yeah and he was playing tackle and then the arizona state game what a debacle that was but if we, you know, if we had players who actually had their names on the back of their yeah. jersey playing like, yeah. 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 Then maybe we win that game. So I think for us, you know, clearly Christian Gonzalez, the best cornerback on this defense, that's the guy that could really turn the tide for this year's season, which the sad irony of Washington being known as DBU over the last yeah. 10 years. Yeah. And now all we're begging for is just one decent cornerback, yeah. is just unbelievable. But We got to wrap it up, guys. We've been going on for a while. One of the questions, Andrew, I think you posed before the show was, will the Pac-12 officials make themselves known? I don't really know how we answer that question, but – Please, no, please.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like
2: Michael Scott. No,
1: no, no. Yeah. I think
3: we have to go on record with how it's going to happen. Is it going to be a fifth down? Is it going to be like a...
1: You know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I okay, I'm going to say what. Well, Can but you I, imagine a fifth down yeah. in the yeah. fourth quarter with oh, two minutes I, to go? I'm have riots. People yeah. would be flipping cars over and burning them.
2: I will make this one very easy for me. And I think it is going to be an ill-timed offensive holding fantasy. Okay. I think that to me, like Michael Penix driving down the field, gets a critical third or fourth down conversion, and the crowd, go, the Husky crowd, the, like whoever's there in Husky, that, is, that are Husky fans, yeah. they're going wild. And then there's a flag on the play, right, right. Troy Patano holding, and yeah. you go back and you look at it and you go, "What on earth?" Like, yeah. th- like because we've seen like a that that game where we've, we, we've seen we that happen, them. and I, you know, I was talking to Mark about. Dylan Morris a couple of years ago, that Stanford game where he won the game. He threw a touchdown with like a minute and a half left and then it was called back for an offensive holding. That's the kind of stuff that pitches. just drives yeah. me crazy.
3: I I think uh, for Oregon, if it were to happen, it would be an ill-timed targeting call. Mm-hmm. I mean yeah. Jamal yeah. Hill is going to be missing yeah. the first half of this yeah. game for a targeting call against Colorado, yeah. which I think was a good call, but Oregon has had games in the past. I remember the Stanford game last year where it was multiple targeting calls on the final drive that uh, did not make a whole lot of sense to me. So that, that would be my prediction of the Pac-12 officials totally screwing this game up.
0: See where I, I, I was thinking about a targeting too, but at least on that, it's going to be reviewed, right? Like I worry about something that's like not reviewable, right? right? So something like that play clock is ticking down it hits double zeros, flag's supposed to come out, ball gets snapped, and it's one of those, like, that should have been a penalty, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, no, remember, they always let they, they let the, the one beat come mm-hmm. when it hits double zeros. It's like, yeah, but that was like a beat and a half. And mm-hmm. Oregon gets it off, you know, converts a, a, a massive fourth down, gets a touchdown, or Washington, or whatever. So it's one of those type plays that I see happening. Um, I think, yeah, like, please... I think we can all agree as much as I loathe the ducks and want to win. I don't want Bo Nix to break his leg. I don't want this mm-hmm. to come down right. to a chintzy penalty, right. like, yeah. or, a, or a dumb, you know, you fumble it out of the end zone oh, or going in. Right. Yeah. Oh, just something like, no. like I, I want to beat you guys straight up. I don't want, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, we don't want Penix to get injured. Like I want to go in and just outplay you guys. I don't want this to be because of the refs, um hopefully tomorrow night we're talking about this game and what a great game it was yeah on our side of course yeah uh and the refs are not a part of the conversation uh and the injuries aren't a part of the conversation
1: and that's yet another bigger rivalry than arizona
2: arizona state Yeah,
1: ridiculous. Yeah. Come on, yeah.
2: all right it's time to finish up we're gonna we're gonna wrap up with our our score predictions so Let's go, let's go dog duck, dog, duck with these. So I'll go ahead and start off, you know, as as embattled and as beaten down as I am as a husky fan, I can't uh, I cannot make a pregame prediction for the huskies to lose this game. So I am going to predict that the huskies win thirty five to thirty two. Mm. Making history, making history in this game, being the first Washington team to be a higher-ranked Oregon team in Austin Stadium. It's happening tomorrow. Huskies thirty-five, Oregon Ducks thirty-two. Mark, what say you?
3: I'm just trying to figure out how Oregon's going to finish with thirty-two points. Is that going to be like a uh... wow four touchdowns and two safeties yeah that yeah, that yeah. yeah um i can go for two a couple times. i'm i'm gonna say it's uh it's high scoring i'm gonna say there's a couple uh key fourth down conversions and or stops that really swing the game and i'm gonna say dan lanning crushes the clock management at the end of the game <laughs> and maybe can or, uh, and uh and so uh yeah give me oregon i i think they got to keep the 40 point streak going so i'm going to say oregon 42 uh washington 38 okay wow okay so i thought your score was a little bit on the low side warren
0: yeah um i oh gosh this is tough like because uh, on one hand i, I want to be loyal i want my team i love warren's optimism um but i i also like I, I gotta be fair to the fans out there right you gotta you're getting this i'm, I'm being a straight shooter i want to be honest I, I, like i think they're paying your salary yeah right exactly so so uh i i gotta go with what i really think is going to happen which i think uh is going to be an oregon win I'm, I'm going close to what mark said i think 42 to 35 um i don't think it's a field goal game i think this is a you know, a touchdown spread. I could see the Huskies kind of being down and coming back uh, and narrowing that that margin a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think forty-two, uh, okay. thirty-five. To be clear, my
3: my field goal is going to come. It's thirty-five all. Deboer settles for the field goal. Sure, makes it gives yeah. the ball back to Oregon. They go down and score, and it's like yeah, Deboer. Okay. This is not a field. Yeah, game. you got your
1: your aggressiveness got you this far. Yeah, and now you got, it, it. You yeah. got yeah.
2: it. Okay, all right, Andrew, what do you say? Um. I'm
1: with you guys on the higher score, and I'd say it'd be 45-35. Um, but I, I would not be surprised if you get to the fourth quarter and we're in a 42-14, and then there's a run, right? Yeah. Whether one team's up or the other, right? It just feels like one of those games where that the offenses can turn it on in a stinking second, like they right. can just go from wow, what like the Washington Oregon State game last week. Um, it it was like Washington could not do anything right that first Mm. half. They couldn't stop Oregon State at all and then boom, you turn it. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see a bigger spread going into fourth quarter and then it tightened back up.
2: Well, there you have it, everybody. Uh, This game is going to be intense. This game is going to be historic. And uh, it's it's good. We're we're excited about it. We're here for it. Um, We will be back, hopefully, either late Saturday night or we'll get it out on Sunday. But uh, our reactions to this Washington-Oregon rivalry game, the number one rivalry in the Pac-12 other than the Sun Devils versus the Wildcats.
1: <laughs> that we
0: can
3: all agree on.
2: <laughs> All right. So for all of my dog fans out there, go dogs.
3: And for all our Duck fans, go Ducks.
2: Thanks to Jake and Andrew for being on the show, and we will catch you guys next time.